0: Oh, Welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to you? With your host, Glenn Ostlund. You want religion do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled
1: with humor. Yeah. You can buy anything in this world. Uh-huh.
0: Why is change so hard? Why, Why is change so hard? And why do so many people talk about a better future?
1: A better better future? future,
0: A better body. A way way better body. Or a better mindset? I don't know. I I, I, I I think think my mindset's mindset's okay. okay. But yet they can't seem to actually change on a deeper level. Or or even on on a shallower one. Why do so many of us wait for crisis, trauma, disease, diagnosis, betrayal? or even loss to finally make up our mind to change.
1: I don't know, maybe, maybe we're stupid, stupid or lazy
0: or, lazy or sinful. Simple. No, I'm just spitballing here. And you can say to a person, why are you this way? And they will say, I am this way because of some experience that happened to me 35 years ago.
1: 35, 35 years, years
0: ago? And the redundancy of that cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking Conditions the body to subconsciously become the mind of that emotion and When the body becomes the mind of that emotion now the body literally is in the past And you can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of your past. Well, that sucks I believe that we can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering Or we can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration Which will you choose?
1: back to Infants on Thrones. Feels like it's been a while. It's probably because it's been a while. <laughs> so, um, today on Sharing Time episode, I want to share with you an episode of a of a series called Rewired that's by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And um, a- another person that I've just recently been introduced to, but, you know, if you've been following... The last couple of months you've heard a lot of Abraham Hicks and you've heard Tom and I debate <laughs> the Abraham Hicks stuff and and you know the thing that I really like I mean there's a lot of things that I really like about the Abraham Hicks I, I think it's fun but the the message of positive thinking and the impact of positive thinking on your life and so this is another episode that's going to be dedicated to that. And I'm going to do it kind of Smackdown style, where I, I have the audio from, this is episode two of Joe Dispenza's Rewired series, and I think it's called How to Change, or The Mechanics of Change. It, it's about making changes, and as I was watching it, um, I, just, I just kept thinking about what I've done on Infants on Thrones, what you guys have listeners of, as listeners have been listening to with Infants on Thrones, and... Um, the other thing um, that I've done the last couple of months um, I'm training to become a life coach and uh, I've mentioned that a few times as well and so each month as part of the program that I'm in I'm required to do four uh, free um, well not it's not required to be free but they have been <laughs> it's uh, been doing four practice that was the word I was going for practice coaching sessions and I have really enjoyed it. It has been so fun to um, get to know some of you because, you know, what I did a couple months ago, I I made the request, anybody who's interested in volunteering to be one of these practice life coaching guinea pigs. (laughs) And I've had about, um, I don't know, 10 or 12 of you that uh, we've spent an hour having nice conversations. Um, It's new for me, you know, like I've been doing... Infants on Thrones, and then Mormon expression before that, going on ten years now, I think. And it's interesting because when, if you're one of the ones that I've talked to, maybe we had this conversation. But but several people say, oh, you probably hear this all the time. But and the truth is, I don't really hear uh, a lot. I don't I don't hear a lot back from listeners of Infants on Thrones, and I don't get out much. <laughs> and so it's been really nice to get to know some of you and uh, I hope that continues so you know I'm recording this in in uh, early November I think today's the 10th or the 11th and I've already done my four coaching for November but I still have four slots in December and another four slots in January so if you're interested in spending an hour with me and finding out more about what it is that I'm doing with this life coaching stuff um, yeah let me know Uh, send me an email or, or shoot me a message on Patreon. Uh, you know how to get a hold of me, and we'll set something up. Um, w- one of the common common things from, from all of these people that I've talked to have been the way that the Mormon Church impacted the way that we think, the, the way that our brains work. And the Mormon Church is only one influence, of course, but it's a big one. And it's especially big because so many of our family members, loved ones, are still... Um, attending and it, some of our spouses and some of you are still attending with those spouses and and are wondering how much longer can I do this? <laughs> how much longer can I can I uh, hold on to this? Sometimes it feels like I'm going crazy. And I found the messages in this episode of rewired particularly I think helpful and interesting and so that's what I want to share with you today. So without any further, Adieu, I give you Dr. Joe Dispenza,
0: Rewired. Why is change so hard? And why do so many people talk about a better future, a better body, or a better mindset, but yet they can't seem to actually change on a deeper level? Why do so many of us wait for crisis, trauma, disease, diagnosis, betrayal, or even loss, to finally make up our mind to change i believe that we can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering or we can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration which will you choose
1: now i'll admit (laughs) when i first heard this what was the first thing that came to my mind what any guesses what was the first thing that came to, to your mind how many times did we get this message that you can either be compelled to be humble, or you can choose to be humble. That if you're not, if if you're not um, intentionally humble, then the Lord will put uh, what obstacles in your path and trials to humble you. I mean, it's it's a very similar message, and if I think about it that way, it's kind of a turnoff, if I'm being honest. But if I just think about the question that he's asking, would I rather make changes? Um, out of joy and love and happiness, or would I rather make them out of pain and suffering and misery? This year, 2019 has been a year of really big changes for me. Um, and, uh, I won't talk about all of them, but I, th- I think, uh, I've already talked about my, d- my divorce, my second divorce, which, um, was hard. It's, and it's, it's still hard, but it's also one of those, um, traumatic things of like, okay. There's things I need to change. There's things I want to change, and um, there have been really amazing things that have come into my life as I focused on that change. Um, but you know, so I and and as I've talked with different uh, listeners that who have been who've signed up to do this practice life coaching, hearing the changes that are going on in your life and and that have happened over the the past several years, the changes that you're hoping to have happen, uh, it's its really interesting. And so I think this is a relevant question. Uh, how, how are you going to change? We all know that we've gone through some kind of a change in the way that we just question the church and, and those of us who have left. Um, it, it It does often have a lot of this trauma that's associated with it but it's a, it's a perfect opportunity to make changes. So let's continue and hear what Dr. Joe Dispenza says about how to change your mind, your habits,
0: your life. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and in the previous episode, we went into depth on how the brain works from a scientific point of view. Now I want to show you how the brain and the body react to change and what that biological model looks like. This episode will help you understand a fundamental part of what it means to become supernatural so that you as the viewer can move past the pain of yesterday into the joy of a new future. All right, Tom, quit rolling your eyes. Quit quit the Tom sigh.
1: He's being playful when he uses the word supernatural. If you watch the first episode, he talks about what it means to be supernatural and he talks about these, uh, natural habits that you can get into, um, how it's very natural to get into a habit that could lead to depression, for example. And do you want to uh, fall into those same kind of natural patterns of behavior, natural patterns of living, follow your biological patterns naturally to those places or do you want to rise above that and have some kind of control so that you can be the author of your own life, knowing how your own mind and how your own body work together. So um yeah, supernatural man. Supernatural. Woohoo. He's just playing around.
0: It's fun language, right? It's fun. Right, Tom? Is it fun? It's fun for me. What is change? Let's assume that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny or your future, that you believe that your thoughts create your life.
1: Alright, here we here we go. Your thoughts create your life, or your thoughts create reality. Where have we heard that before recently? Hmm? I don't know. Could it be? I'm doing church. I'm thinking a church lady right now. Church lady would say, "Could it be Satan?" But I'm going to say, "Could it be Abraham?" You know, like the whole Abraham, Hicks thing. I was making a joke about. Okay, anyway. So yeah, it's it's this message, and also where else? The feeling good by Dr. David Burns. The way the influence that our thoughts have on our biology. How how, how do you like? How do you respond to that? Just when you hear it, that the thoughts that you think will determine the life that you live. Does that sound like it's woo-woo, supernatural? Do you have some kind of a, like, ugh, kind of reaction to that? I I have. I mean, I still kind of do a little bit. Mo- mostly I don't. I think mostly I'm starting to get it, finally. Understanding what all this stuff means, the impact. It's uh, it's powerful stuff, the thoughts that we think. And he has even more interesting things to say about it. Even more interesting than... Trying to do like an old Saturday Night Live church lady. Yeah, Saturday Night Live church lady It was Dana Carvey for those of you. Why well, is that special?
0: In the last episode, I mentioned that you think sixty to seventy thousand thoughts in one day, and ninety percent of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. Wait, what? Uh, that that
1: seems like it's important.
0: Let's 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 listen to that part again. If you think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day 60, 60 to 70,000 to 70, And 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before 90%, 90% are on repeat, are on repeat, repeat baby. baby A
1: repeat loop, baby. baby
0: A repeat loop, baby A repeat, repeat loop, So if you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your future And 90% of those thoughts are exactly the same as the day before. And it makes sense then your life or your future isn't going to change very much.
1: So here's a question for you.
0: Of those 60 to 70,000
1: thoughts, how many of them center around uh, leaving Mormonism? I mean, probably not as many. If if you've been out for a long time, that number has probably gotten away, gotten down a little bit, I would guess. I hope. I th- it definitely has for me. But when you're filling your head with all those things, <laughs> you know, like... Doesn't
0: anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking
1: crazy pills! But, um, I you know, I, it just like when people get so angry that there's got to be some kind of tie to Mormonism and like the Mormon church is doing this and oh, the Mormon church is bad and and this guy's bad, and I just don't, I, it's, I'm a different person now than I was when I was doing Infants on Thrones before, I've changed, and I feel like it's these kinds of outrage, like calls to outrage, we've got to fix the problems, look at the problem of the Mormon Church, there's still problems, we've still got to fix them, I, I just think that keeps these thought loops alive in our head and and prevents us from moving on it did for me i mean the biggest thing that i had to unplug from it was a couple of years ago you remember when when scott and matt and i did that uh the trump dossier stuff i think we've removed them now from from the website but um we were doing this trump stuff and i was listening to rachel maddow every night it was just after trump had been elected and just like i had to unplug from that it was it was Taking me places I really didn't want to be. I didn't like how it felt. And, um, so now, you know, kind of the, the outrage about the Mormon church and how horrible they are to people, um, It's not that I'm not sympathetic for it, I am, but I want to say let's let's move away from that. And definitely let's move away from the victim story, because the victim story doesn't help when we see ourselves as victims and and we deny the power that we have to actually make changes and move and improve and get away from those things. Anyway, that's how I feel. That's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Because the same thoughts always lead to the same choices. The same choices always lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors create the exact same experiences, and the same experiences produce the same emotions. And those same emotions begin to influence your very same thoughts. And everything in your biology stays the same. Your neurocircuitry, your neurochemistry, your hormones, and even your gene expression is equal to how you think, how you act, and how you feel. And how you think, how you act, and how you feel is called your personality. And your personality is intimately connected to your life or your personal reality. Reason this with me. There's a principle in neuroscience called Hebb's Law. And Hebb's Law says that nerve cells that fire together Wire together,
1: kind of like the family that prays together, right? They they stay together. It rhymes. My mind didn't.
0: Mind didn't. So if you keep thinking the same thoughts, making the same choices, demonstrating the same behaviors, creating the same experiences, and producing the same feelings and emotions for the last ten years. It makes sense then you're going to begin to hardwire your brain into a very finite signature. And that box in your brain by the time you're 35 years old becomes a very hardwired set of programs that becomes your identity or personality.
1: You know, I I find that age really interesting, 35 years old because that's about the age I was when I stopped attending sacrament meeting. It was around that time. Um, that's that's around the age I was when I um, <laughs> I should probably share this with you. I, I, I've thought about it before. It's long. Uh, it, it, this email that I wrote to my dad where I told him, here are the things I don't like about the church. Here are the things that I do like about the church. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's it's interesting that at about the time where people would be settling into behaviors that would go on automatic. Um, The the behaviors that I settled into uh, that maybe have become automatic are challenging the status quo. Um, And searching beyond uh, what I'm given, like really challenging, really questioning, really wanting to know more. And uh, that—that's kind of a pattern for me. That uh, I, I think even—even even the Mormon Church instilled in me this this idea that the idea of a restoration itself, the the idea of what Joseph Smith did, and seeking out further light and knowledge, and the the promise that there's more to come—that those those things were always really appealing to me. Uh, so this this i this this idea that he's saying uh that at about age thirty five is when your brain really hardens and the uh, it's not a hard heart it's a hard brain layman uh from the Book of Mormon layman and Lemuel it's not a church lady joke <laughs> anyway hard brained hard hearted uh it's really interesting it's an interesting thought um how about how about you guys how about you as listeners what what has your experience been at the age of 35 did you did you feel like if if you went through a faith crisis after age 35 is it was it a more stark difficult one because your brain had already really settled in on these automatic patterns of tbm behavior and belief in the mormon church oh, interesting
0: interesting questions interesting interesting and that 35 year old mark means that most people by the time they reach that age become a set of memorized behaviors unconscious emotional reactions automatic habits hardwired attitudes beliefs and perceptions that function just like a computer program so now when a person decides to change and they're using five percent of their conscious mind to go against what they've memorized subconsciously 95 percent They can think positively all they want, but that thought will actually never make it past their brainstem into their body because their thought is saying one thing and their body has been conditioned into the past.
1: So is that saying that positive thinking isn't effective because a positive thought might uh, be something that 5% of your mental power, your your conscious awareness, whatever it was that he said, 5% is, Doing battle with the ninety-five percent that's been hardened and hard hardwired and is on automatic in your body. Um, so positive thinking, just really, there's no point. It's it's ineffectual. Or is he going to say that it takes more than just positive thinking to do it? I don't know. I don't know. Let's 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 find out. Let let's see if he's a he's pro positive thinking or anti positive thinking. And uh, you, can, you can be either positive um, on, on the side of positive thinking or not.
0: I don't care. So most people then, when they wake up in the morning, they're a clean slate. They're not thinking anything. They're not feeling anything. In a matter of moments, because the brain is a record of the past, they start thinking about those problems, those problems in their life that are associated with certain people and certain objects and certain things at certain times and places. The moment they start thinking about those problems, they're thinking in the past because they are memories from the past. And every single one of those conditions or problems has an emotion associated with them. And the definition of a feeling or an emotion is a record of a past experience. And the moment they get in touch with those familiar feelings, and those feelings are driving their thoughts and you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny, we could say then they're thinking in the past. And as long as they're thinking in the past, their past will always be their future.
1: You know, something that's really interesting to me is the relationship between thoughts that we think and our brain's response to those thoughts um, in in the way that the, the brain creates this biochemical response that is experienced in our body as an emotion or as a feeling and so if i understand right what he's saying here is that these biochemical responses that our brain creates these feelings these emotions are tied to the thoughts and the the, the more we repeat those thoughts and repeat those um biochemical it's like we're we're giving ourselves a, a, a shot, a hit, of this biochemical response. And it's something that we can get addicted to. And we can get... So we can get addicted to our thoughts. We can get in this cycle of addiction on something that seems very familiar to us. We, we've been thinking this way. We've been feeling this way. Even we feel, even if we feel shitty, we can get used to it. And, and because it's something that's familiar to us, um, and it's not something that's unknown, because things that are unknown... You know, then you got fear around that. At least it's something that you know. So, but, but, it, but it's interesting to me because it, it could be thoughts that are based in the past. They're not even something that you're experiencing right now, except you're thinking about it right now. And as you're thinking about something that happened 10 years ago, and you're feeling sad about something that happened 10 years ago, you're bringing that emotion of something that happened 10 years ago into the moment right now, and you're just keeping that misery alive. You're just keeping it alive. And maybe that's something that's on automatic. It's on an automatic loop. So how, if, if that's on an automatic loop, how do you change it? I mean, this, this whole episode of Dr. Dispenza is supposed to be about change, right? How, so how do you change it?
0: He's going to get to it. We're going to get there. Now, certain people, they get caught in these loops of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking. Now, why does this happen? If feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and you can remember experiences better because you can remember how they feel, we could say then that the stronger the emotion you feel from some problem or condition in your life, the more altered you feel inside of you, the more it's going to wake you up and you're going to pay attention to what's causing it outside of you. And when you narrow your focus on the cause, the brain freezes an image and takes a picture. And that picture becomes the memory embossed in the brain. Now, people tend to think neurologically within the circuits of that past experience. And they tend to feel within the boundaries of those emotions, which are chemicals. And of course, how they think and how they feel becomes their state of being. And you can say to a person, why are you this way? And they will say, I am this way because of some experience that happened to me 35 years ago. And what they're saying from a biological standpoint, that 35 years ago, they had an event that altered them, and they have not been able to change since. Do you have anything like that
1: in your life? Whether it's 35 years ago, or five years ago, or 10 years ago, I'm sure there's something. I've got several. Um, my my first divorce, I tell all kinds of stories about how horrible that was. And there's times where it gets me down. Um, and I think for legitimate reasons, there, there's a lot of sorrow around the way that it, it changed the relationships that I have with my kids. And, and um, you know, th- there's there's stuff there. <laughs> but I think I've got to be careful of it as well. I've got to be careful of these loops. And you know, when I was when I was a graduate student at Indiana University, there was a guest speaker who came. Her name was Elizabeth Loftus. And she is a memory expert. And she she told a story. She had to have armed guards escorting her on campus because she's often called as an expert witness in sex abuse cases where the, the primary evidence is a recovered memory or a repressed memory that comes up in the state of hypnosis and so she's called on to present evidence that she's gathered over the years that show how malleable memory is and how easy it is to create false memories and she gives as an example um this, this thing called Lost in a Shopping Mall is what she talked about, where, uh, it, I think it was the University of Washington where she was at, and they would, they would have students come to volunteer for what they thought was free therapy or something like that. But what, what was really going on is they were being tested to see if the people that were the, the, the so-called therapists that were interviewing them, they were planting the seeds of a false memory. And they wanted to see how many of these subjects, like what percentage, would the memory stick? Would, how many of them would actually create a false memory? And and they would interview the these subjects, family members, just to make sure that there was never anything in their past where they were actually lost at a shopping mall. Uh, so they would go through this process saying, okay, tell me, and, and they would also ask their family members, what what are some things that happened? You know, like they went to the beach when they were five years old, or they went to Disneyland, or, you know, what Key key events in life. So when the interviewer was was talking with the subject they would Develop trust and rapport because they're talking about legitimate memories and then they would get to this one. Okay um, We talked to some people and they told me that when you were five years old you got lost in a shopping mall Do you remember that and they would kind of struggle and go no and then okay They would move on the next week. They would come back. They would repeat the exact same questions and I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like 35 or 40% over time started developing because they were being asked, they were being asked, do you remember this thing? It happened. And so they're stretching, they're stretching, they're trying, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, actually, I do remember it. And by the end of it, this 35 or 40%, they were able to create these really detailed memories that they swore happened, like that they remembered when somebody's voice came over the loud, Speaker system, saying your your mother's looking for you. or They remembered the the plaid skirt of the woman that they clutched onto. Or they remember they went out to ice cream afterwards once they were reunited with their mm. their parents. And the, so the main point of this. I just found it fascinating. And it and it was happening about the same time I was starting to question my, my belief in Mormonism and questioning the stories that we tell that are faith promoting stories. And now to all of that stuff, I have to question our own memories of things that have actually happened in our life. He's going to, he's going to give a number up here. He's going to say that there's a certain percentage of memories that are false. What do you think? I think it's 10% greater than 10%. <laughs> how many, how many of your own memories do you think are false
0: Wait for it. Now the latest research on memory says that 50% of what you talk about in your past, isn't even the truth.
1: So Tom, does that mean that it's fiction? does that mean that at least 50% of what we remember is a fic? It's a fiction,
0: Tom, Tom. And what does that mean? People embellish the memories of the experience to reaffirm the emotion that they are identifying with that keeps them in the past.
1: Confirmation bias. When, you, when you've identified really strongly with this emotion and you want it to be true because you want to be have this identity that you've created for yourself and have the sense of security and certainty, then you you embellish and you create these things
0: that support the narrative that you want to tell. Is that what he's saying? And in a sense, we could say then, the person is reliving a miserable life that they never even had and their brain and body neurologically and chemically are being further tacked or conditioned into the past you know this
1: is another fairly common theme that has come up in in these practice coaching sessions as I've been talking with people like I've talked with with several people who have have said I wish that I was more like this uh, and then they tell me a little bit about what's going on in their lives and how, in the past, they were more like that, but they want to be more like this. But as they're telling me about things in their life, I, I keep hearing these things that I'm like, well, you you said that you wanted to to be out of debt, and it sounds like you got out of debt. Uh, you said that you wanted to be able to have uh, friends outside of the church, and you just told me about three friends that you have outside of the church. Uh, you know, so like, what is it when there's things that are going on in our lives right now that just don't carry that much weight because we're so attached to these memories in the past. Are, are we telling ourselves these stories? Are we, are we deceiving ourselves? Why, why would we even be doing that? Is that something that we're consciously doing? Or is that part of the, the 95% subconscious automatic thought patterns, those habits that are fighting back? Is that the way they fight back? What does Dr. Joe have to say? Dr. Joseph Smith Dispenza. Sorry, I just ruined it.
0: And so people get caught in these loops of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking for 10, 20, 30, and 40 years. And the redundancy of that cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking conditions the body to subconsciously become the mind of that emotion. And when the body becomes the mind of that emotion, now the body literally is in the past. And you can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of your past. And in a sense, your body is your unconscious mind. It's objective. It does not know the difference between an actual experience in your life that's creating an emotion and the emotion that you're creating or fabricating by thought alone. You know. Here's, here's what I think he means by that
1: because remember that our our brain creates these biochemical responses to the thoughts that we're thinking and so if it's and, and forgive me I don't know that much about brain chem, chemistry but cortisol is the hormone it's the stress hormone right so if we're thinking about things that are stressing us out we're we're, we're flooding our, our our brain with cortisol our, our we're creating this this cortisol and it doesn't it doesn't matter if the thing that is stressing us out is something that happened twenty five years ago or yesterday or tomorrow or even worrying about something that might happen next year but hasn't happened yet Our body doesn't distinguish that oh this cortisol that i'm <laughs> that I'm creating right now and feeling right now this is old old uh, 25-year-old memory-created cortisol. No, it's all the same cortisol. It's all the same response. And so what, what he's saying here is that the way that we think when we're dwelling on the past, when we're worried about the future, when we're in this constant state of anxiety has an impact on our bodies right here and right now. And that keeps our bodies living according to a past narrative But you know, that we're keeping alive by our current thoughts. Hmm. Boy, I want I want to learn how to stop doing that. I want, I want to learn how to stop
0: doing that. I've I've started I've started to. Started to, but I want to get better at it. It means then that your body is believing it's living in the same past experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, to the body it literally is in the past. So then to change then is to be greater than your body, to be greater than the conditioning of the body living in the past.
1: And being greater than, these bo- than the body or greater than this 95% these these habits that have built up over time through this cycle of thought and emotion and thought and feeling and thought and emotion and thought and feeling. That's what he means by supernatural when he was saying that, that cute little clever thing. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, Tell you what, dear listener, I'm I'm cutting this off here, right now. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish the second half of this episode when I have more time. But I don't. I've run out of time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get this out now at least, and then we'll get to the other part later. You know you know one of the reasons that I'm out of town out of town out, t- out of town. No, I'm in town. One of the reasons that I'm out of time. I've I've started doing something that I've wanted to do for a long time and I'm about I'm I'm getting close I'm getting close very soon who knows how many months it'll be from now I will be publishing a book I'm really really excited about it it's not Shadow the Lamanite Shadow the Lamanite I'll get to but do you remember uh, a couple months ago I did a few episodes with Tom and with Brady Bloom uh, called Conversations with Quad that were a lot of fun and and for me <laughs> and and based on uh, loosely based on uh, this, this book called Conversations with God. Well, I've I've written many many more, and um, I submitted it to a, a small local publisher uh, earlier this week, and they got back to me yesterday. They love it. I'm going to go forward with it, and uh, so I I think as I as as I continue to write and and do my rewrites, I'll probably use you guys as a as a what do you call that like a whetstone <laughs> to sharpen it up because it was really really helpful for me to have Tom and Brady for uh, part one and part two of that and I've gone back and I've rewritten part one um, so I'll, 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 I'll probably share that with you so be looking out for that but anyway um, thank you for listening today thank you for supporting Infants on Thrones and um, we'll hear part two of this soon. I promise. I promise. I promise. And oh yeah, if any of you are interested in taking me up on the offer for some free life coaching, shoot me an email, let me know. I would love to talk with you and get to know you a little bit and uh, see what we can do. See how I can help you.
0: Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Matthew Ryan Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did.
1: I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? All right. Thanks again for listening to Infants on Thrones.
0: Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.